0: Good morning, church. I might not have a voice after that worship, but good morning. There's um, something special, and I think would be remiss to not connect the dots for us, about the message and the emphasis that God has placed on our church last week with the long worship, the amazing worship that we had last week, and now what the Lord is doing in our midst this week. And I would be remiss to tell you that this moment is not just so that you can feel good. That worship was not just for that moment. When God encounters us, he doesn't encounter us to leave us the same. God encounters us to change us. If there's a part of you that comes to church and comes to Jesus trying to maintain as much of yourself as you can, you will be fighting with him all day long. We come to him to be changed by him and he comes to us to change us. When we get into this moment, don't take that worship that we just experienced and leave it in this room. Let it drive you to repentance. A deep, deep repentance. A repentance that only you and God truly know about. Let it drive you to worship. A deep, deep worship. Not just one where the worship team leads you, but that's just between you and him. Let it drive you to a deep, deep prayer. And not a prayer that a pastor leads you in but a prayer that is acknowledging that God the Father has chosen to commune with me and he hears my cry. Whatever you do, don't let that worship stay in this room. We can miss the whole point if we settle for goosebumps and for shouts and for tongues and for for running and and for screaming and for hallelujahs, and those things are great, I just did them. And don't leave it here. What was God doing on the inside of you? If, If you believe that God was just giving you a really cool experience, then now you can leave church to say, that was a really great service. Let me tell you as your pastor, that's not what he did. It's not what he's doing. He's saying, let me shape you, daughter. In my presence, there is fullness of joy. In my presence, there is freedom. In my presence, there is rest. In my presence is the very thing that you've been looking for. And it can be easy to be in church for a long time and say, yeah, we got back to our churchy roots. We did it. That was great. We shouted. And then you just stop. Stop. But you let that moment be more than a moment. We really believe that the Lord wasn't just building momentum last week in our worship. He's building momentum in our church. I think it's appropriate that we're in a series that we're in right now called The Long Church. That God is working in our church. If it's your first time, I believe that you feel it. If it's your 10th year, I believe that you've been feeling it that God is doing something in our church. And we've been talking about what does it mean to be a long church? Not just a church that's been around for a long time. That's an old church. And how many of us know that just because something is old doesn't mean it's good? We're not just aiming to be an old church that's here for 40 and hoping for the next 40. No, we're believing that we are a long church, which is a church that is fully committed to God and fully committed to each other until the end. That there's not something that's gonna stop us from pursuing community with each other and pursuing faithfulness to King Jesus. We talked about what does it mean to be a long church? It means to be an everyday church. That we are the Christians, we are the church that commits to God every single day, that we do consistently what others do occasionally. That we are fully committed to God every single day. It's not based off of our emotions or how we feel or what's going on in the world. But every single day we are committed to God. And We've talked about how we're an until heaven church. And we're not stopping. That there's no stop in sight. We're going to go until Jesus comes back. And we're going to cry out until Jesus comes back. We're not just going to settle for here and now and what we got, but we have an eternal perspective, knowing clearly and absolutely that Jesus has called us to be a church, not just for now, but we are preparing for something greater for eternal communion with God. And we are going to pursue that. We're going to follow him and we're not going to stop until heaven. Last week, we got a chance to talk about worship. And this week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. One of the most precious, if I could say that, all the scriptures are precious, but one of the most beautiful and precious, loving verses of scripture that we really find. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 says this. (laughs) Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. Some translations say, come to me, all you who are weary. And I will give you rest. Jesus will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us the key to rest here. And what I want to title this message is The Long Rest. The Long Rest, speaking just simply about three things. One, Jesus says, Come to me. Two, Jesus says, Take my yoke. And three, Jesus says, Find rest. Will you pray with me for a minute? Lord, we glorify you. And we say that you are the object and the affection of this entire room. If in no other room, Jesus, you're glorified, be glorified in this room. And Lord, if in no other heart are you glorified, be glorified in this heart. If no other place your presence is welcome, be welcome in this place know with our heart, your presence is welcome to be welcomed in this heart. God, you are holy and beautiful and magnificent and worthy and glorious and big and close and gracious in the beginning and the end and everything we've been looking for. Teach us. Teach us that you are. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The long rest. The long rest. There was a lot that I was praying into this message um, and a lot that the Lord is teaching me about rest during this past week. And a lot that I wish that I could share with all of us in this room if we had the time. The one thing I learned about rest practically is that rest is worship. When you rest in God, you worship God. God. And when we go to this text of scripture, we realize that Jesus is not talking about um, the same type of rest that we are talking about. When we think about rest, we think about what? Sleep. A vacation. Time off. A day off. Less problems. When we think about rest... We think about the physical rest of my body. I need to be more well-rested. I need to get more sleep. But it seems like Jesus is talking about something different here because he speaks about our souls. And we know that Jesus is talking about something different because when Jesus speaks about rest for your bodies, or maybe even better put, anxiety for your physical well-being, Jesus gives a clear teaching. He says, as it pertains with your physical body, he says, I care about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and I care about you way more than I care about them, so don't worry. When he is talking about your body and your physical rest, Jesus says, don't worry. But when Jesus is talking about your spiritual rest and your soul's health, notice that Jesus says, come to me. You see, They're both incredibly important, but they get different attention from God. Your physical rest, God says, trust me, I got it, don't worry about it. But your soul, Jesus clearly says, hey, hey, no, you come here. You need to come to me for that. It's almost as if Jesus is saying that rest, for your soul at least, is not a thing to do, but a place to go. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. It's not a thing that we do. It is a place that we go. Come to me. As if to say that there are a lot of different places that we can go to for rest. I mean, you know this. I, I know this, that there are options for us to go to for rest. Some bad we might go to rest in, in a bottle. We might go to rest on an app. We might go to rest by uh, forsaking our responsibilities. We might go to rest and say, I just need a break. I know that my family kind of needs me right now, but I am just so overwhelmed. I am checked out. I just need to, to chill and I just don't need to be bothered. Don't bother me. We might go to rest for maybe different things that aren't necessarily good for us. Or we might go to rest for things that are good for us. You might say, no, I'm going to get on a, on a, on a new uh, a sleeping ritual. I'm going I'm to go to sleep at the same time and wake up at the same time. I'm, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to be more rested in the gym. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make sure that I use my days off and I don't work seven days a week. I'm going to make sure that I actually go on vacation this year. I'm not going to be a workaholic. I'm going to take time and take care of the temple that God has given me. And, and I'm going to do all these things. And those things are good things. But the issue... Sometimes for us is that we confuse godly things with God things. And we start using godly things to rest when God has given us himself for rest. We, uh, we go to worship music to rest. Say, God, I I just want to be here. I just want to worship you. And all of a sudden, instead of actually focusing on Jesus, we just focus on the lyrics and the really cool vamp that they do because it's our favorite artist and the mood that it puts us in. We go to journaling maybe for rest, which is a good thing. And we start journaling about our lives and what's going on. and, And that kind of gives us a place to anchor down. But we're not really talking to God. We're more just venting on a page. You know, you can even come to church. And you can't come to Jesus. Some of us will go to church for rest, but we don't actually go to Jesus for rest. We just go for the environment. We go for the great worship. We maybe go for the great word. We go for the kind people. We go for the donuts after church and the kombucha that I can get. We go to a lot of things. And we can get a lot of good things. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad things. They are things that we use, we stand on top of to glorify God. They are a a, a, a platform that helps us see Jesus clearly. But let me tell you something. Sometimes we can confuse godly things with God things. And we can come to church and not come to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. There are other options that you can go to for rest, but he's actually saying, come to me. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is simply saying that if where there is exhaustion, I extend an invitation. You tired? You exhausted? You just feel like you need a break? Jesus is speaking to you today. And he invites you in. Say, come to me. There's a lot of things, a lot of places that you can go to, but Jesus specifically gives you an invitation, not for the good things, not for the bad things, but for the God things. You see, I'm glad that you come to church and you feel good and you feel better and you love the worship and you shout and you pray and you're in this room and you feel the presence of God and all those things are really, really good. But what what we can do is we can mistake this stage for a God thing. This stage isn't even a God thing. This stage merely points to the God person. So here's what I'm telling you. If you come into this room and you're looking for this stage to give you rest, it can't be found here. This stage can't save you. The thing that you're actually looking for can't be found in this stage. It can't be found in the lobby, and it can't be found just seemingly from great worship and great teaching. That has to be found in the person of Jesus. (laughs) We come to this place and we have all these ideas of what God's going to do and and how we're going to encounter him and, and all these ideas. And we feel the goosebumps and we have these moments, which are all great. And I'm so happy that you're here. But the reality of it is, is that this stage can give you encouragement. Yes. This stage can give you hope. Yes. This stage can give you energy. Yes. But can this stage give you salvation? No. Can the stage give you rest? No. Can the stage give you what your soul has actually been longing for? No. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. What we do is we end up settling for the shadow instead of the substance. It's the shadow of the thing. It resembles the thing. It's similar to the thing, but it's not the thing. He says, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is giving a specific invitation to come to him. He says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? As if to say, are you weary? Are you tired? Do you just need a break? Is is it just exhausting to just go day to day to day? And then he says, are you heavy laden? The word you hear really says, do you feel like a weight on your shoulders? Do you feel like it's hard to take a step? Do you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world? Is it hard to go day to day to day? Do you feel like it's just heavy? And Jesus might be talking about physical things, sure, but Jesus really is focusing on your soul, saying, are you not just tired on the outside, but are you tired on the inside? Do you feel like your soul just needs a break? Do you feel like you just need a, a what I call a soul sigh, where it's just a... Yeah, I'm weary. Yeah, it's, it's heavy. Life is, life is a lot. Life is moving. I'm, I'm really tired. And what I've learned about being tired is tiredness usually leads to weakness. Because it doesn't usually stop there. You don't stop with just being exhausted and tired. It's like, man, another day. All right, I'm gonna get through it. It's gonna be rough, but I can get through it another day. That's tired. Weakness is another day. <sighs> Are you weak? You feel weak in this room? Like there's just not a lot of hope moving forward. What I've realized about weakness is that weakness is kind of like an Uber. Weakness drives you places. When you get weak, when you get to the end of yourself... When there's nothing more that you think that you can do, that moment, that feeling, that statement and status of your soul, that'll drive you places. It'll take you somewhere. The question is, where is it driving you? When you get weak, when you don't know what to do, where does it take you? Is it taking you to apathy? Does it take you to lash out to the people who truly love you? Are you becoming more lazy? Are you becoming more prideful? Are you becoming more insecure? Are you doubting the love of God because you've gotten so weak? Weakness will drive you places. And as I was considering that, the Lord pretty clearly told me in my study this week (laughs) To tell some people in this room that weakness isn't a weakness in the kingdom of God. Strength is. Weakness is not a weakness in the kingdom of God. Strength is. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the rich in spirit. (laughs) Jesus didn't say. The first shall be first and the last shall be last. Jesus doesn't say, I'll use the strong things of the world to shame the weak. I'll use the smart things of the world to shame the foolish. No, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are last shall be first and the first shall be last. He doesn't go to the Pharisees and says, hey, you know what? You, you, you. No, he goes to prostitutes. He goes to tax collectors. He's going to sinners. He's going to the lame. He's going to the marginalized. He's going to the weak. He's going to the ones stuck in their sin. He's going to the ones who doubt that God is for them. He's going to the ones who haven't been in church in a long time. He's going to the ones who were in church for a long time and then haven't been in church for a long time. He's going to the people where your family seems like it's just going downhill. He's going to the people where you feel like you're weak. He's saying, are you weak? Because the world will tell you that weakness is a weakness. Don't show your weakness. Don't show that you can't do it. you got to make everything happen by yourself. And in the kingdom of God, sons and daughters, it's simply not true. Weakness isn't a weakness in the kingdom of God. Weakness is actually a strength. It's Shown in Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Why? Because we see that this woman approaches Jesus. If you don't know the context, this is woman with the issue of blood. She has been bleeding for 12 years. It says in the scriptures that she has tried every physician. She has spent all of her money. She has used all of her resources. She now finds herself hopeless, doesn't know what to do. In a word, weak. She hears about a man named Jesus walking through the town, has heard stories about him healing other people. She walks up to him. The crowd surrounds him. She says, maybe I've tried all these other things. Maybe, just maybe this guy will work. She comes up to him in the crowd, sneaks around. Nobody knows she's there. She touches the hem of his garment. Jesus then turns around and says, whoa, who just touched me? Peter looks at him and says, Jesus, there's like a hundred people here. You have a crowd. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, 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 Power just left from me. Everyone's looking around. This woman realizes that she's been found out. She then exposes herself to Jesus. She says, I I know, I know, I know. I've just tried so many things and nothing has worked. And I heard about you and I thought that you might be the one. And then Jesus looks at her. We don't even get her name. Jesus just calls her daughter. And Jesus, Jesus says this simply, daughter, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. See, this is a connection between faith and rest. And Eugene Peterson says it this way. Sometimes you have to be so dissatisfied with what the world offers before you can become fully satisfied with what Jesus offers. This woman, 12 years bleeding all of her money, all of her resources, none of her hope is left. And she looks around. She says, maybe this Jesus guy is going to work. I'll test him out and see what happens. Weakness. And you see where the weakness drove this woman to. She said, "I've tried everything. I've been tired, I've been strong, I had money and I didn't. I tried them, them and her. That didn't work. It didn't satisfy my soul. Now I'm going to try that one guy Jesus. I heard a rumor. I'm not even sure if it's true, but I got a little bit of faith. Not a lot of faith. The size of a mustard seed maybe. I'm going to come to this man named Jesus and when I touch him, I realize that everything changes. Weakness is not a weakness in the kingdom of heaven. Strength is. This woman was weak and it drove her to the cross. It drove her to Jesus. I wonder, are you feeling weak today? Do you not know where to go? Has it been 12 years you spent all your money, all your resources, you tried everything to get rest, you tried him, him and her, you tried a new job, a new neighborhood, a different lifestyle, more money, more friends, more power, more influence and you realize all of it left me bankrupt and with less hope than I had before. Maybe just maybe this Jesus guy might work. Where's your weakness driving you to? Because weakness is not weakness in the kingdom of heaven, strength is. As if to say, Jesus doesn't carry those who carry themselves. Jesus didn't go to the Pharisees and reveal himself to them. Jesus went to women at wells. Jesus went to lepers. Jesus went to the lowly. Jesus went to the prostitutes. Jesus went to the sinners. Jesus went to the people that nobody wanted to associate with, and he said, you, you get me. Come to me. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Because, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He says, come to me. And he says, take my yoke. Jesus gives a lot of options in this text. He says, come to me as if we can go to someplace else. And he says, take my yoke as if there are other yokes to put on. You notice that? like, like Yokes, and the word that yoke here is, is a... Um, It's an instrument for agriculture. So what it was is it was this wooden piece that you'd place on the top of a big agricultural animal, usually an oxen, place it over their shoulders, around their neck. And that instrument, they would drag and pull so that the farmer could put in the seed more easily into the ground. It was an instrument used to accomplish a specific purpose. Now, the yoke that Jesus is talking about is not just specifically talking about what an oxen puts on its shoulders. He's talking about the yoke that the Jews were living under and the Jews were living under the yoke of the Torah, of the law of rituals and of, of of all of all these traditions that they had to keep in order to be good with God. That was the yoke, the burden that they had placed on themselves or maybe better way to say is that the Pharisees had placed on them because the law was fine It was the way that the Pharisees had imposed the law on top of the Jews. Jesus actually said, Pharisees, you place a heavy burden upon their shoulders and don't even lift a finger to lift it off. That's what Jesus says. So The yoke is the issue, not the law. But yet they had the yoke on top of them. And we might not have the yoke like the Torah or like tradition or rituals or cleansing or being part of the right family. But I believe that in our culture, our yoke is the yoke of busyness. It's the thing that we do to get where we want to be. It's the tool that we use to get to what we think we're ultimately supposed to do busyness because busyness equates to productivity and productivity is really somewhat an idol in our culture we're achievers if you live in this area you don't just live in this area to live in this area go live somewhere cheaper you live in this area because you're an achiever because you get stuff done because you right because you get stuff done because you're a maximizer you're an influencer you have something to give So we live in this area, and busyness is what we do to get there from point A to point B. We have every plate spinning. Everything is up to me. I'm going to do what I need to do. If it will be, it's up to me. That's our mentality. That is what we believe. That's how we live. And that's the yoke that we put on. Obsessed with outcomes, obsessed with busyness, obsessed with achieving. i got to make sure that my kids are all in order. It all depends on me. i got to make sure that my family is all in order. It all depends on me. i got to make sure that my job and, 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 my, and my friends and, 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 and my social life and, and my, my bank account and, 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 my, and my emotional health and, and my spiritual health and all of it depends on me, 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 me. I think some of us are so tired because we are carrying yokes that Jesus never gave us. The yoke of busyness, the yoke of me, the yoke of I gotta get it done. And that yoke, it's really popular in our culture. You'll leave this room and people will actually applaud you for it. People will love you for it. If you say you haven't taken a day off in a year, people think you're on the grind and you're building an empire. It's the greatest thing ever in our culture. It's honestly, partially an idol. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and then they ask, this is what we do. How do we respond? Hey, how's life? Busy. You've said it. I've said it. Hey, how's the family? Busy. Yo, how are things at work? Busy. Here hear this. How is vacation? Busy. <laughs> Even our vacations are busy. And that's what we do. We're busybodies. We get things done. We move forward. It's all up to me. If it will be, it's up to me. The issue with this yoke is that it's actually anti-Jesus. Because guess what Jesus says? Come to me. Guess what we're saying? It's up to me. You're looking at Jesus. Jesus is looking at you. No, it's up to me. 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 No. You see, it's anti-Jesus. Our busyness might be the thing stopping us from actually achieving full rest in Christ. <laughs> it's up to me. It's up to me. It's up to me, it's up to me, it's up to me. This is a busyness yoke wasn't something they placed on themselves, but when you look in the book of Exodus, you find that the Israelites had a yoke of busyness too, that they had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and now... The Lord had brought them out, and they're going into the promised land, but they're wandering in the wilderness. And as they're wandering into the wilderness, God gives them the Ten Commandments. They realize how they're supposed to live, how God relates with them, how they relate with God, specific rules. They haven't had rules in years. They've just had slavery. So now God gives them this. One of the beautiful blessings he gives, Fourth Commandment, he gives them the Sabbath, the day of rest. They've never had a day off in their lives, been slaves. They get out of Egypt into the wilderness, God says, you must rest. And here's the thing, I'm gonna supply for you. I'm gonna provide for you. Everything that you want is everything that I am. The way that he shows this is he rains down manna from heaven. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to make food. They're just in the wilderness. They don't know what's going on. So what happens, God says, I'm going to give you manna to eat every single day. One, two, three, four, five, six days. On the seventh day, you have to rest. You can do no work. That means that they can't go out and gather the manna. That was work. What the Lord does is he says, I'm going to give you enough on the sixth day so that you have enough for the seventh day so that you can actually rest. As I read through all of that, I realized something in the scriptures that the Sabbath rest was definitely for man, but it was also for God. Because when you don't work, God gets the glory. If you're always working, guess who gets the glory? Not God. If it's always up to you, guess who gets the glory? Not God. If your family, your work, your health, your money, your giving, everything that you have is all up to you, guess who gets the glory from your picture-perfect life? Not God. He forces them to rest. And he says, as you rest, I get the glory. (laughs) What we just talked about beginning. Rest is worship. Rest is worship. We actually glorify God when we don't do all that we can do. God will be worshiped in your life when you say, God, I know that I can. I know I can work more days. I know that busyness can well up inside of me, but I choose not to engage in all of those activities so that you might work in me. So that you might provide for me. You see, rest is a faith exercise. It always has been. Sabbath rest is saying, I believe that you will supply for me on the seventh day. So I'm not going to work on the sixth day. It's a faith exercise. It's trusting God to do for you what you choose not to do for yourself. And this makes a lot of us uncomfortable, to be honest. Because we're like, yeah, but what do I do? Like, that makes me feel lazy. Like, I feel like there's like an action item where like this just sounds like, should I not work? Should I work? Like, what are you telling me? Here's the thing. Jesus is trying to get you to trust him. That's it. He's saying your rest is connected to your trust. Your rest is connected to your faith. I know you believe that you can do it, but do you believe that I can do it? Your rest is connected to, to your trust. I want to take that in another place, but I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, self control, Tell us. Let's go. Come to me. <laughs> take on my yoke and find rest. Come to me, take my yoke and find. Rest. What we see Jesus saying here is that true rest is found in Jesus. Exclusively, explicitly, unashamedly. True rest that you've been looking for is actually found in Jesus. Now, you get pieces of rest in other places, you get little snippets and glimpses of rest in other places. But here's the thing true rest for your soul. That's only found in Jesus. We find in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is Jesus saying here? I love it because Jesus keeps it real. He's saying, I give you peace, and not like the world gives peace, as if to say, the world can give you a type of peace. Jesus isn't dumb. He knows that when you go out with your friends, you have a type of peace. When you drink too much, you have a type of peace. When you look at that thing you shouldn't look at, you have a type of peace. When you engage in those relationships or you do what you shouldn't do or you withhold money or you spend too much money or you start to neglect the things that you should because you feel like your self-happiness is more important than somebody else's and you got to care for yourself and you actually say, I'm just going to do what I need to do and forgive forget about you. All of those things give a type of peace. But he says it doesn't last. If you watch those nature shows or survival shows, it's like when somebody's stranded in the ocean and the one rule that they tell you not to do, says no matter how thirsty you get, no matter how dehydrated that you are, don't drink the water. Why? Because it's going to feel good for a minute. You're going to like it. You're going to be satisfied for a second. It'll fill you for a moment, but you're going to leave as quickly as it came. It's going to leave you thirstier than before. Jesus simply said this to the woman at the well. He said, if you drink from that water, you're going to be thirsty again. And if you knew who I was, if you knew who was talking to you, if you really knew that my yoke was easy and my burden was light, then I am lowly and gentle in heart. I am a servant first and foremost. That I care about the lilies and I care about the birds but I care way more about you. That I made you as the centerpiece of my creation. That the birds don't bear my image. The mountains don't bear my image. The stars don't bear my image. The sun and all its beauty does bear my image. If you really understood who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink of water and guess what? You would never thirst again. He said, if you really knew. But no, you you can have a type of peace. You can have a type of rest. But he says, if you come to me, if you take on my yoke, you will find true peace. Rest. Some of us believe that rest from Jesus in faith in Jesus. We're like, no, I got that, Pastor. Like I rest in Jesus. I, I have faith in Jesus. But what I've realized is some of us just believe God to deliver us and not to keep us. What I mean by that, some of us have faith in the trial when we're weary, when we're heavy laden, that God will take us out of the bad situation and put us back into a good situation. That takes faith, that's really good. But rest inside of the situation is trusting God to keep you, not praising God after he delivers you. God is gonna give you a rest for your soul that is not predetermined or it doesn't need a prerequisite for deliverance. It actually gives you grace for endurance. So now you have a rest that says, I might not have the life that I want, but I have the rest that I need because my rest isn't determined on my situation. My rest actually informs my situation. Does that make sense? There's a rest that Jesus gives that nothing else can give. I don't just trust God to deliver me from the thing. I trust God to keep me in the middle of the thing. How do you think that Jesus could go to that wretched garden and say, not my will, but yours be done. He wanted the father to deliver him. He wished the father would deliver him. And yet he said, even if you don't, not my will, but yours be done. And what that points to is we find at the end of Jesus's life, this beautiful, uh, 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 call back to the first book in the Bible, where we see the first rest. And we see in Genesis, this beautiful story that God made the world in seven days, the universe in seven days, six days. What he does is the first one, two, three, four, five, six days, he works and creates everything that we know to be. And on the seventh day, Genesis 2, it says that God rested. Now, were we saying simply that God was tired? That God was weary? He needed a break? He needed to take a nap? no. The reason that God rested on the seventh day, seven, the number of completion, the reason God rested on the seventh day is because it was finished. He said, it's done. I did it. Seven, it's complete. And then thousands of years later, we see the sun hanging on a cross with six statements. One, two, three, four, five, six. He gets to the seventh statement, the number of completion, it is finished. And he mentions his last words, dying breath. He says, Father, it is finished. (laughs) Now, Jesus was saying that absolutely because his mission was finished, because he was faithful to the Father, because he fulfilled his purpose, because he did what he was supposed to do. I'm not making this statement about us, and I believe. That when Jesus said it was finished, he also meant it for you and for me. Seven. Seven days God rests. Seven statements Jesus rests, and he invites us into a permanent rest. (laughs) Are you striving? It's finished. Are you working and earning? It's finished. Are you carrying the old yoke that you had before Christ? It's finished. Are you looking for rest in your soul? It's finished. Jesus says that there is a rest that I can give you that you can't find anywhere else. It says in Hebrews chapter four, it says, would you enter into his rest? There is still a rest for us to enter, enter into. As if to say that there is a rest that God gave the Israelites. There's a rest that God is giving us through the cross. And yet church, there is still a greater rest coming. And Jesus says, there's gonna be a day when I'm gonna wipe away every tear from every eye. I'm going to be splendid in glory and majesty. You're going to be able to see me face to face. There's not going to be worry. There's not going to be anxiety. You can't be tired. You won't be heavy laden. You're going to be in my presence. There will be fullness of joy. And there's going to be a finished rest that you walk into. Jesus says, it's finished. Would you enter into my rest? Jesus, our true rest says, are you tired? Come to me. Are you heavy? Take off that yoke that I never told you to wear. And here, take this one. It's much lighter. Find rest for your soul. I wonder if we could be a church that comes to Jesus that takes off our yokes, that puts on his yoke and finds true rest for our soul, a rest that we can't find any other place. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we magnify your name. and We say that you are righteous and holy and good and you, Jesus, are our Sabbath rest. That you worked so that we wouldn't have to. That you accomplished it for us because you knew that we couldn't. You provided for us. God, in the middle of the wilderness, when there were so many other places that we could turn, you said that I am your rest. And God, we believe that you and you alone is where our souls truly belong. Like a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for the living God. And I have a sense in this room that there are some people sitting here and watching online right now who are saying, man, I wish I had that rest. And I really believe that the Lord is extending a grace to our church for a long rest. That there doesn't have to be a work that you do, a thing to accomplish, something to finish, or plates to keep spinning. There is not an object that is all on you to keep afloat. But God is saying, if you would come to me, I would give you a rest for your soul like you've never known. And if there's anybody in this room right now, I don't care if you're looking around or if your eyes are closed, if you're in this room and you're saying, Pastor, I want that rest and I need it and I don't feel like I have it, I want to pray for you. Would you stand up if that's you? If you're in this room and you're saying, I need that rest. I need that rest. I've been feeling weary. I've been feeling tired. Life has gotten heavy. I'm not just tired on the outside. I'm tired on the inside. I'm looking for Jesus to fill me in a way that nothing else can. And I trust me, I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. And it doesn't work. God, I'm believing that your spirit is going to fall in this room. Lord this isn't a fancy prayer this is not a a a trick that we use this is not about a moment to have Lord by your spirit would you do a work you said that you would give rest and so we're not going to church we're not going to the pastor we're not going to music we're not going to a journal God those things are well and good but Jesus we're going for you satisfy us Lord God, everybody in this room who is heavy laden and who is weary, who is tired on the inside. Lord, Holy Spirit, you're a better minister than I am. Would you minister? God, would you touch them? Would you give them a rest? God, would you convict them of places where we've thrown on yokes that you never gave us? God, give us a face to throw it off. There's some people in this room, and God is saying, to receive the rest, throw off the yoke. To receive the peace, throw off the yoke. Throw off the earning, throw off the deserving. I finished it, it's done. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. I'll keep the plate spinning. When you rest, I'll get glory. When you rest, I will work. Lord, you said in your word in Isaiah that, Lord, you would pour fresh water on dry ground. God, if there's dry ground in this room, if there's weakness in this room, God, pour fresh water, living water, a water that has us never thirst again. Make your word true in our lives, Jesus, and fulfill your promise. God, I'm asking that you would bless these men and women standing and watching online. God, that you would fill them with your spirit and give them a rest in Christ Jesus like they have never known before. In Jesus' name. And if there's anyone in this room who's saying, man, I want I want that Jesus. I don't think I've ever met that Jesus. I don't know if I've ever given my life to that Jesus, but I really, really want to. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you're in this room or watching online and you're saying, Man, I I, want to meet him, and I don't think I'm following him, but I want him. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Amen. 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 If that's you, I want you to pray this with me in your heart. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for sinning against you. I choose to repent from everything that I know to be sin and choose to follow you, Jesus. I choose to throw off the yoke and to take on yours. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my heart. Make me new and make me like you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a living water that the Lord poured out. Faith is how you enter into it. Faith is how you receive the word that was spoken. I'm believing faith over you and in you, in your life, that God will give you a godly rest, a God-centered, Christ-centered rest like you've never known before. And if you just made that decision to follow Jesus, congratulations, Jesus has changed my life forever and for the better, and I truly believe he's gonna do the same thing for you. Pastor AJ is about to come up and give you some next steps on what to do next. But I want to say congratulations. I love you. If we can, church, by his grace, let's be a church that dives into Jesus in long rest. Love you.